Um, that's, that's our mission as a church. It's pretty simple, and yet it's not really that simple. <laughs> In fact, this idea of cultivating community is just not really that easy at all. Um, yeah. Last week we looked at worship, and we talked about worship being the believer's response of all that they are, mind, emotions, will, and body to what God says and what God does. And so worship is something that flows out of God's work. It's our response to him. It's our thanks and our praise um, to him. And so, again, just to reiterate, our mission is, is making maturing followers whose lives are fixed on worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. He is always the center. He's always the focal point of our lives. He sits on the throne of our hearts, and everything else bows down to him. That would be our desire, is that you would celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would serve him only. Um, our desire is that you would grow in the knowledge of God and that you would love one another, and our desire is that you would carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to your neighbors. And so part of our strategy um, is, that, is helping people move from attending church on Sunday mornings. There's a lot of people that just attend church on Sunday mornings. They maybe come and they hear a good sermon and they, they sing their, their hearts out to God and then they go back to their homes, and that's just about the extent of maybe their worship. Um, what I want to say to you this morning is that, um, man, that's just the beginning. Sunday morning is kind of just the, maybe the, the beginning of it. But it's funny that most churches, a lot of churches focus all of their energy and their attention on Sunday morning, don't we? Why do we do that? Um, well, our desire is that you would move from Sunday mornings into some sort of smaller community of believers, some sort of small group, something that where you can be sharpening one another, um, where you can encourage one another, and this idea of being a part of a transformative community. Um, in our worship gatherings, they're grounded in the Lord Jesus Christ, and God supernaturally uses the preaching of his word. He uses the, the worship, the singing to transform our hearts, to transform our affections. But in groups that are grounded in Jesus, God supernaturally uses the community really to mature us, and both of those things are important to God. Uh, both must be important uh, to the church as well. And so that's why we say, hey, we want to cultivate community at Crossroads. Uh, just like we've said that the ministry of the Word of God and prayer should have equal importance in a believer's life, they should both be very important to the church, so do Sunday wor morning worship gatherings and the gathering of the congregation throughout the week. So am I make, is that clear, what I'm trying to say here? Now, I do think that there's a challenge. Um, and I'll be honest. There are times when I think to myself, man, I wish I just had some time to myself. I mean, some, some of you think that, right? Maybe you're part of a small group, and it, and it meets, and all of a sudden, small group or student ministry or whatever you want to call your group, wherever you find this sharpening of one another, you kind of go, man, oh, it's a duty. Ever happen? I mean, come on, be honest. It, it does. Um, there are seasons in church life, though, like summer, right? When, when groups don't gather, they don't meet together, or they meet less frequently, and what I find during those times, I find this growing disconnect and this feeling of loneliness. And inside of me, there's this growing need for human interaction. 
Now, some of you might be, some of you who just like to be by yourself might be saying, well, I like as much alone time as I can get, and I can really never get enough of alone time, right? There are some people in this room that I know, I won't, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, that that's where you're at. You're just like, man, I just want my alone time to myself, right? Sometimes, you know, the reasons for that are like, man, the group dynamics can be challenging, right? I mean, think about student ministry, right, Amy? Is that not just the most challenging experience of your whole life? You got a bunch of teenagers that are in there, and they're all trying to figure out who they are, and then they're all like, well, I don't really like this person over here. I don't like this person over here. I really like myself, but I don't, I'm not sure about these other people. Um, or, you know, the group dynamics can be amazing. We, don't, we just don't mix that well. I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge every one of you because some of you, some of us, wait, some of you, some of us are still, we still live in junior high, I think, in our minds and so, in our hearts. Well, did you see that? I didn't want to say that, but I just said it. Um, and, and, and so we're just like, man, I just want to be by myself. You were created by God to be in community. God designed you that way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. He says, one who wants fellowship without solitude, I'm going to give you a balance here for all those of you who like to be alone and some of those who like to be together all the time. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings, right? And the one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. Maybe I should just read it again. Just so was, that was probably a lot to think about. One who wants fellowship without solitude plunges into the void of words and feelings. They're constantly getting who they are from someone else. We need that, those words to keep us going, right? The one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity. Self-infatuation, I might call it something like this, and I've said it before, navel-gazing, right? We just gaze at ourselves sometimes and despair. Why? Because God created us for community. That was God's design. God's design is for us to be in community, to love and to be loved, to know and to be known. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God, within the Godhead alone. Why is there the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because God is in community with himself. The triunity of God is evident in the opening two verses of the Bible, of Genesis. We see God creating, and what else do we see in Genesis chapter one and verse one? We see the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then, of course, we open up the book of John to John chapter one, verses 1 through 4, and we find out that the Word was also there in the beginning, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was with God in the beginning, and who is the Word? Jesus is there creating with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the beginning. The, the triunity of God is a picture of life. It's a picture of community. It's a picture of relationship. It's a picture of joy, love. What it means to be a person is found in God. God has always existed in community because that's who he is. 
And God created you with that same desire, whether you know it or not. We see it in the garden. When God created man, he saw that it was not good for him to be alone, and so he creates Eve. And he brings Eve to Adam. Why did God bring Eve to Adam? To love one another, to compliment one another. I will bring a helper suitable for him so that he can work the garden, so that they can work the garden together. Be fruitful and multiply was part of the mandate that God gave, this design to be together. He said, it's not good. The one thing that he says in creation, in all the creation account, everything's good. But then it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. You see, we were created and we were made to connect with God and we were made to connect with one another. Maybe the whole of humanity is like this box of Legos. How many of you guys had Legos growing up? Right, and no, this is not a marriage <laughs> illustration, so don't be thinking about, we just did our marriage retreat this weekend, and the guy used an illustration that was, we're not gonna be talking about that today. <laughs> it had to do with marriage. Yeah, so we, this is, this is my box of Legos. A lot of these Legos come from when I was a kid. This represents sets and sets of Legos, right? You guys have Legos? Does everybody have Legos growing up? Pretty much, right? Pretty cool. Andrew and I, we built a lot of cool stuff together with, this, with these Legos. This writer of this book um, uses this illustration. He says the whole human race is like Legos. In fact, he says that the church is like Legos. I've seen Legos alone. And I've seen Legos connected, right? And there's a big difference, isn't there? Some people are like a big box of Legos that aren't connected. They say, well, I have relationships. Do you? I have a casual but distant relationship with a lot of people. They have a bunch of acquaintances and people that they rub shoulders with, but they do not have deep, meaningful, authentic relationships. And I think a lot of us are like Legos. We bounce around life with a bunch of other people in a box that we don't really know. We're not really connecting. The question is, is that what God has in mind for us? Many families are like a box of unconnected Legos. The most basic community, right, is the family. These, these families will shake together. Well, when we come home from work, we'll shake together. When we go to the ball field, we might shake together when we come to church. But we're not really connecting, right, in a meaningful way. And God designed us to connect. He wants us to connect to him, and he wants us to connect to each other. He wants us to do more than just bump into each other and be casual. You see, God's design for your life was to be part of the body of Christ he wants to build you into something. He wants to build this church body into something that is amazing. It's beautiful. It's magnificent, right? For the display of his splendor and his design. It's much like this, this picture here that I want to put on the screen. Check that out. Look at that. You know that's Legos, right? That's the city of, do you know what city that is? It's the city of Amsterdam, right? Isn't that amazing? 
I think that's what God wants to do with the church. I think that's what God, God designed us to connect to one another for a greater purpose, to build a beautiful city, a beautiful church that looks something like this. Look at the color. Look at the intricate details of this. The writer of the Lego Principle said this, if we can connect to God and to one another, we can pretty much shape the world together. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So how do we do that? How do we live in Christian community that is transformative, that takes this, this box of Legos, this disconnected box of just, you can't tell what it is. There's no definition of it to that. How does that happen? How do we cultivate that as a church? You see, that kind of community, there's a sense where there's a, maybe a part of that that's offered by the world. Like, you can find community in the world. Just drive down Main Street on Friday or Saturday night here. You'll be amazed. There are more, char- there are more cars on Main Street not on Friday and Saturday night than there are in this parking lot on Sunday morning. And I was trying to figure it out one time. I was scratching my head because sometimes I set this stuff. I'm like, where are all these people at? Like, where are all these cars? Well, they're at the bar, right? The bar is a gathering place. It's, the, it's, a, it's a place where people find this, this connection, or do they? Or the country club, or a sports team, or your neighborhood maybe. Each place, the bar included, illustrates the need that God put inside of us for human interaction. But what makes Christian community different? There's some vulnerability at the bar. There's some opening up at the social club. What's different about the church is that the church community that we're trying to build is a transform- transformational community. The supreme mission of Christian community is seeing people's lives transformed. At the heart of Christian community is the goal of seeing people gather together to study the Bible, to hold one another accountable, to spend time with God daily, and to live a lifestyle that looks more and more like the lifestyle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's something that you won't get in the bar. That's something that you're not going to get in the country club. And at Crossroads, we use the phrase cultivating community. Now, I would tell you to turn in your Bibles this morning to a passage of Scripture, but this is just one of those subjects that you just can't really, I can't really tell you where to turn because it's everywhere in the New Testament. And so you're just going to have to follow along on the screen this morning. I am looking forward, by the way, to getting into the book of Luke after Easter. Um, But for now, we're going to be just looking at a lot of concepts and ideas. And so what do we mean by cultivating community and why is it so important? This morning, I want to give you five characteristics from God's Word that best describe transformative community. And then I want to share with you at the end a dream that I might have. And so the first thing is this. The first um, marker, if you will, of transformative community is instruction from God's Word. The scripture there says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you what? As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. You see, God's word 
must form the foundation of Christian community. You believe that, right? Okay. This is, this is the instruction booklet, if you will, to create that Lego creation. Fair enough. Everybody got an instruction kit, and when you lost that, boy, you had to just make your mind had to create whatever it could create, right? Well, don't lose your Bible, <laughs> because this is the instruction booklet. We don't want to go off topic. We don't want to go somewhere else to try to figure out and create whatever we're trying to create here. God's Word gives us the instruction for building transformation. Without the standard of God's Word, our community will look more like a bar or it will look more like a social club. Notice what Paul says, though, after he says, you teach and he says, admonish one another, right? Admonish, what does that mean? You see, admonishing one another, it goes beyond teaching. Admonishment is aimed at, at more than instruction. It stresses doing what the teaching instructs. The primary stress is not on the teaching, but on imploring the hearers to do what the teacher is saying. In this way, admonishment pleads in earnest for the hearer to obey, right, to follow. Admonishing is, is more than teaching. Admonishing is personal. You can stand up in front of a classroom and you can teach information to a crowd of people uh, that you may or may not know, right? But to admonish one another assumes that there is a personal connection with that person. You teach and you admonish one another with all wisdom. Paul was connected to these believers in Jesus Christ. Admonish, admonition requires endurance. It requires emotion. Admonition would say this. It would say, you know what? I can see the path that you're heading down. And I can tell you this, that it doesn't end well. Right? Let me show you a better way. A lot of times admonition comes with a lot of tears. I mean, think about Paul. He's, he's, sometimes he writes in his scripture, he writes, hey, I'm pleading with you with tears. Don't go that way. That way is not good for you. I've been down that path before. When we admonish one another, I think the result is, is worship. Look at that. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Admonition is aimed at worship. The end goal of transformational community is the worship of God. And worship flows from obedience to God. This morning, I'm admonishing you. Get involved in cultivating community. Be a part of transformational community. Now, teaching and admonishing are most effective when the second mark of transformational community is present. It's the idea of genuine love for each other. Jesus taught this to his disciples, didn't he? He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As I was preaching and preparing this week, I ran across an article by a young professor at Moody Bible Institute named Paul Maxwell. 
The title of his article was Older Men, Younger Men Need You. He identified five things that young men need from older men, stories, prayer, self-security, vulnerability. But the first thing on his list was love. He writes this, he says, young men are often asking of older men, do you care about me? Do you really care? You see, we can watch YouTube videos for advice, for wisdom, inspiration for life's complexities. With Christian blogs today, we can access answers to most every life question without even picking up the phone. We should still ask you, but we don't need older men, mainly because they're smarter. He says, young men need steady love, a love that shadows the love of a father. You know, that's the one thing that um, our information world can't manufacture, is human connection, human relationship, love. You could be the smartest person in this room and be the loneliest person. When I get on my knees and I pray for this church, you know what my greatest prayer for Crossroads is? That we would become a community of believers that love one another deeply. That we would, just as Jesus says, I've loved you with this sacrificial love, that we too would love one another to the point of sacrifice. And I believe that it happens here. I believe it's one of the marks of Crossroads community is a genuineness, an authenticity that results in love for each other. Not only is transformational community marked by genuine love, but it also provides protection. It provides protection from our own fleshly desires and the enticement of the devil. Look at this verse. It says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Again, we got a lot of Bonhoeffer this morning. He wrote a book called Life Together Community. He says this. He says, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. Maybe we should just start with the last half of that sentence there. That you may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Here's what sin will tell you. No one else can know about this. Cover it up. Hide it. You ever heard that voice before? Maybe when you're in the midst of something that you're not really proud of in your life? Hey, I'm just going to hide this. I'm just going to shove this down here. And so, we put on a mask, right? And we pretend like everything's fine. And yet we know inwardly it's not fine. Do you see what's happening here? You're being hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Saying so you should be ashamed of yourself to go to Drew's message the other day. 
And it can harden our hearts, and we can fix this mask so tightly. We can work so hard to color it so that it's just right. Everybody sees us, and they think everything's fine when it's not. Outwardly, we look beautiful. Inwardly, we're wasting away. Christian transformational community provides protection from our own fleshly desires and the enticement of the devil. And so the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily. Don't isolate yourself. The truth is we can even isolate ourselves in broad daylight, even while attending church. I hope that doesn't happen here. That's not what Crossroads Community Church is about. That's not the kind of community that we're trying to cultivate here. Real life transformative community is full of grace. The grace of God is what changes us. Masks are removed because people are able to expose their struggles without the fear of being condemned. Because there's a genuine love and concern for one another. Now, a community of grace does not mean that truth is absent. Right? In transformative community, people can speak the truth to one another in love. We can warn one another before we go too far down the path. Now, sometimes you speak the truth to someone, and they don't like to hear it. And maybe they'll isolate themselves, or they'll go, man, I don't want to hear that. And yet, <laughs> we should continue to speak the truth, because some hear it, and some are transformed. I think this idea of daily here is so important. Sunday morning is just simply not enough. It's too easy for you to put a mask on and hide here. I think the desire in cultivating community is to create what I might call more of a confessional community. James 5 and verse 16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Have you ever been hiding something in your life and finally, you're like, you know what, I just got to tell somebody about this. What happened when you finally just said, you know what, I've been carrying this thing for so long. My prayer is that when you did that, the community didn't throw stones at you, but rather the community came around you and they embraced you and they said, wow, you too? You know what? 
I've been there. I know what it's like. We think we're the only one, right? So often. And yet the scripture says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Here's an interesting verse from 1 John chapter 1, 6 and 7, and it just kind of messes with my mind a little bit. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, right, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, notice this next phrase here, we have fellowship with one another. What? One another? And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, of course, God's the only one that forgives sin. (laughs) Man doesn't forgive sin. And yet the scripture tells us to confess our sins to one another, to pray for each other. And then when we do that, we have this, this fellowship. We're walking in light, and we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Christ purifies us from all sin. It's not easy. But I can promise you that when you confess, it is freeing. You find freedom when we confess. Man, it feels good to take the mask off and to not try to continue to keep this thing well manicured. Another mark of transformative community is this idea of encouragement to walk closer to Christ. Hebrews 10 says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I spent an entire Sunday last fall unpacking this verse, so I'm not going to spend much time on it this morning. But I do think that that word there, to spur one another on, is important. Um, And again, when I talked about it last fall, it's this idea of irritating and exasperating one another pretty much. Um, it sounds like a pretty negative word, but actually it's not. Um, to spur one another on is to say, golly, what are you doing? You know, come on, let's go. Let's do this together, right? To pull one another along. Sometimes you just got to, sometimes you just got to get that person that just wants to live in isolation and you just got to pull them into community. You just got to keep nagging them into community. You just got to keep saying, I want you to come, I want you to come, I want you to come. It's going to be good for you, it's going to be good for you. I know you don't think it will be, but I promise you it'll be good for you. That is spurring one another on. Sometimes we have to do that. We've got to stop being nice all the time. Stop being so conflict avoidant all the time, says the pastor to himself. (laughs) Funny coming from me. Yeah, I know. I'm listening to this and I'm going, man, Lord, I need to start irritating some people. It's time to call some people out. Spurring them on for a purpose, towards love, towards good deeds, 
Sometimes that means we have to speak the truth. <laughs> the last mark of uh, community that I want to talk about this morning for this transformative community is support, right? Through the ups and downs of life. Romans 12, 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I know in our own community, in our own small group, uh, we've seen some, some very happy situations turn into sad ones. We've seen sad situations turn into situations of joy. Have you seen that? Been a part of that? God doesn't waste the hurt in our lives. He uses those things. Those of you who have been there to comfort others in times of sorrow. So you may say to yourself sometimes, well, I don't really need community because I've got it all figured out now. Well, you know what? That person may need you in community because they don't have it all figured out. They may need you to speak into their lives. Right. And there may be some admonishment there. Well said, Al. There's such support that comes through Christian community. Maybe it's the wayward child coming home to the announcement of a child's salvation. We can rejoice together. We can mourn together. We support through serving one another. Galatians 5 and verse 13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free. Right? Now listen to this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't waste your freedom on yourself. Rather, serve one another in love. You know what encourages a pastor the most? Encourages a pastor's heart the most? I'm encouraged when I see so many of you getting in the trenches with someone else when you're living out this value of being responsible to my neighbor. There's almost nothing that brings a pastor's heart more joy when you see a congregation that is carrying one another's burdens. Now, why would that be true? Well, then I don't have to carry all of them, right? Then I don't get all the phone calls, well, you know, we need to do this and that. I don't get a lot of those phone calls. And I think it's because this church ministers to each other. You see, we could use all of our time and all of our money on ourselves, right? Indulging in the sinful nature. But you're not. Your eyes are open to see the needs of others. Your hands are ready to serve one another. You know what? I want to commend, and she left. Where is she? I want to commend Amy on the way that she is modeling this verse to the younger generation in our church. She models this verse to the younger generation. She is painting a picture for you young people of what it means to serve other people and to be selfless. 
That's why we do missions. Now, I see it in a lot of other ways, but I don't really want to steal anybody's blessing. Um, I could stand up here and tell you stories of people who sacrifice and serve. I don't want to steal that. I do want to challenge you, though. So how are you going to be involved? What piece of this grand Lego creation that God is building called the church, what piece are you holding on to? What are you withholding from putting in that structure? Are you just one of those people that's just kind of rattling around in the box? I want to encourage you to step from celebrating Jesus on Sunday morning into cultivating community during the week. Well, there's a lot of ways that we can do that. Men's ministry meets on Monday nights. We've got a women's Bible study right now that's meeting on Wednesday, and we have one last women's meeting Monday night. We've got community groups that are meeting throughout the week. We have Crossroads Student Ministry. We just finished a marriage retreat where we were sharpening one another, maybe, or we were just beating each other. <laughs> Tell you what, I've never been beaten so much in my life. We played this game. You, you guys missed out if you weren't there. We, we played this game with this, uh, have you ever been in a Zorb ball? It's like this this thing where you get into and then your cushions all around you and you do something as dumb as playing like tackle the man with the pool noodle <laughs> on a gym floor. And man, it was violent. <laughs> There's video out there that uh, you can see the violence. Man, I got smacked down on the floor a bunch of times. I don't know what it was about Curtis and why you had it out for me. <laughs> Or Joel, or Russ, or Dave maybe got me a time or two. It was brutal. I would encourage you to come to the marriage retreat next year. We will beat all the frustration out of your marriage. No, but, I mean, come on, the church is gathered there, and we're just laughing together. We're enjoying one another. We're getting real with each other. We're talking about some of the struggles that we have in our relationships. Maybe VBS, get involved in carrying the gospel into this community this summer, or a mission trip, or we have family camp coming up at the end of July. All of these are entry points into cultivating the five marks of community that we're talking about this morning. You know what the greatest challenge is that I have as a pastor as I preach this message? is that I can't make any of these things happen. I can't do any of these things. You can't program these things. You can't do it. It's like, man, can I build a program for um, support through the ups and downs of life? Can I build an encouragement to walk closer? You can't do it. It's something that you just enter into, and it happens to you. Now, can I end this morning? I want to just share a dream with you. This is kind of a, a pie-in-the-sky um, dream that I have, and hopefully it will challenge the older generation in this church. We know the scripture that says um, in Proverbs 27, 17, right? 
It says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We're familiar with that verse, right? Listen to this verse, and maybe if you want to turn there and mark it, because you probably don't have it marked in your Bible. Psalm 2710 says this. I missed it when we were preaching through Proverbs. It says, do not forsake your friend, right? And listen to this, and the friend of your father, okay? And do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Now, there's a reason for that. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. This is Proverbs 27.10. Did I say Psalms? Sorry, Psalm 27 is like, the Lord is my light and my salvation, or something at the beginning of that. Yeah, let me start over in Proverbs 27.10. Listen to this. This is profound. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. There's two generations in this verse. And do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. You got some problems? Don't go to your brother's house because he lives way over there. He doesn't live close. Better a friend nearby. And notice, maybe it's your father's friend. What does that say to you, young people? Hey, maybe that's admonishing you to go to an older man for help. That's what I see when I read it. Psalm 71, verse 17 and 18, David writes this. He says, and this is the way that Ken signs off his emails. He says, since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, listen, until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. To maybe the more seasoned saints in the congregation, I would say this. Don't think that you have graduated from community or that you have graduated from being involved in the younger generation. Remember what that man wrote at Moody. He said that we need to see love. I need to know what love looks like from a father. I would love to spend time preaching a sermon on Titus 2, 1 through 8. Uh, I wish I wanted to, but I don't really have time for that. Read it when you go home. It paints a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and what it looks like when older men and women speak into the lives of the next generation of men and women. Honestly, I think that's what the body of Christ really needs. It, we need intergenerational speaking into one another's life, lives. Oftentimes we gravitate towards people that are all the same as we are and all in the same avenue of life as we are. Older generation, you're going to have to be proactive in that. And you know what? Praise God that you are. 
one of the things that I've been seeing with Al's community group is that um, these boomers, this boomer group, these people that are booming, whatever that means, <laughs> they're speaking into this community. They've gathered together to glean the wisdom from that generation. I see it in our student ministry through mentoring, through men that are mentoring, maybe women that are mentoring other young people. I'm seeing it in the men's ministry on Monday night, older men being father figure to younger men. I saw it in the women's ministry the summer that we had, we had all the junior high, high school girls and all of the women together doing a Bible study. That's, that's the kind of community that we want to create. That's the kind of community that we want to cultivate here at Crossroads Community Church. And I pray that you want to be a part of that. So, how will you be involved? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that you are the triune God of the universe your Father, your Son, and your Holy Spirit. God, we see your humanity, although you're God, through Jesus. God, you can relate to us. You're not distance. You're not something other than that we cannot understand or comprehend, God, but you made it plain to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, he himself modeled community with his disciples Father, I pray, Lord, that you'd challenge us, Lord. Challenge us to step in, God. To step into the circle, God, and be involved in cultivating the kind of community that we've talked about this morning. And then challenge us, God, even as we respond in singing. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.